This is HPR episode 2412 entitled The Call of Cthulhu and is part of the series HPR Audiobook Club. It is hosted by HPR Audiobook Club and is about 84 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is In this episode, the HPR Audiobook Club discusses The Call of Cthulhu. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Good evening, and welcome to our Halloween edition of the Hacker Public Radio Audio Book Club. I'll be your host for tonight. Uh, my name's Pokey, and with me, we have Semiotic Robotic. Good evening. We have Taj. What's good, everybody? We've got Pegwall. Hey, hey. And X1101. Howdy, folks. Man, I didn't get a single moo-hoo-ha-ha-ha from anybody. I, I thought I thought Pegwell was going to give me one. I thought about it. <laughs> That's what we needed. Uh, for anybody new to the audiobook club, we review audiobooks here. Uh, they must be free uh, of cost so that anybody can participate in, in listening or participating in the show. Um, the way that we do the show, we break it into three parts. The first has no spoilers whatsoever. We just review um, you know, parts of the story without without spoiling it, but we go over uh, audio content, audio quality, that kind of thing. Um, the second part of our show is like a break from the review of the, of the audiobook where we do a beverage review. Um, we each bring a beverage of our choosing. It could be alcohol or non-alcohol. Um, that's you know, up to each individual reviewer. And then after the beverage review, we continue with the audiobook review and we do, uh, spoilers there. And then we have a fourth part to our three part show where we pick the new audiobook, um, which is something we haven't discussed yet. So we'll, I guess we'll be surprised when we get to that part. But um, on with the show. Well, what'd you guys think? This was uh, Peg. Well, this was your this was your book, um, The Call of Cthulhu. So uh, tell us about it. Give us an overview and a history of this one. This one's got some history. You write it as my book. I wrote it. No, um, it is by <laughs> The Call of Cthulhu is by H.P. Lovecraft and. I was thinking, you know, when it comes to Halloween, you always think, oh, there's, you know, horror stories all the time. And who is one of the greatest classic horror writers is H.P. Lovecraft. So I went, hey, we should listen to this. And we went, yeah, okay, that's cool. I have to say that I was super excited when this got suggested because I've, I had read it and very much enjoyed it. And I've listened to it twice. I was also really excited uh, when uh, it was suggested because I've never read it before. And this it was just sort of not having read it was a, a glaring mark 
uh, against my my nerddom. So I needed to read it, and I'm glad that I did. I'm like semiotic robotic. I finally get all the Cthulhu jokes. <laughs> totally, right. totally. Yes, that's how it was today. Yep, I'm I'm with you guys on that one. I had never uh, read it or heard it before. I went looking for it once. Um, I figured for sure if it was out there that it would be on uh, on LibriVox. So I went looking there and I found a bunch of HP Lovecraft, but not the Call of Cthulhu. So um, I had never heard it, and I was I was glad when Pegwall suggested it and had a link to an actual file that we could download. So I finally got to hear it too. It was also the first time I've heard it. Um, and I will give a little bit of a warning to people that haven't heard it or read it. Um, there is a little bit of racism. Just keep that in mind. A little bit. Okay, there's quite a bit. That was actually one of the few notes I took was the, you know, frequent, glaring, casual racism. Well, Lovecraft himself was kind of racist. Like, everyone goes, oh, it's, you know, just the time when, you know, he existed. But he was still pretty racist when other people were ceasing to be, so. <laughs> yeah, he's post-Mark Twain, and Mark Twain um, was able to uh, to not be a racist, despite his background of, of living in a place where it was almost called for. I mean, he had to go by a pseudonym uh, <laughs> so that he could be not racist and still live where he lived. Sounds like an episode of The Twilight Zone or something. Have to go by a different name to not be a terrible person. Yeah, this book was kind of like an episode of The Twilight Zone. Definitely. I was just going to say, is it funny that the only reason that I know Mark Twain wasn't really his name was because of an episode of Star Trek? Really? Yeah, there's an episode where they they go back in time and they meet Mark Twain, but it's not Mark Twain because that's not his name. They call him Samuel Clements because that's his real name, and that's right, the right, only right. reason. That's the only reason I know that he used a pen name. That's how I learned about it. Oh, that's funny. That's awesome. Yay, Star Trek win. Point point for Star Trek. Uh, Star Wars zero. <laughs> I think on every. I think on every episode I've been on, someone has mentioned Star Trek. That's the whole reason I made that comment, so we could go ahead and get it out of the way. <laughs> oh, you cut out real bad there, semiotic robotic. Oh, dang. I said, well, check that box. Oh, right on. All right, so I I feel like I'm going to stand out from the crowd here because I didn't like this one as much as the rest of the planet seems to like this one. I, I appreciate it. I understand that it's good. Um, it just, it's not for me. Uh, and there were, there were several things in it that, um, I, I don't know if I could overlook and I've listened to it a couple times and they just, they stick out real bad. Um, but I think I'm the only one here who probably didn't like it as much. I will actually say that of, of the Lovecraft stories I've read or listened to, this one is not my favorite. Um, there are quite a few more that are far more interesting to me. So can I ask them why you think this one caught on and has the sort of cultural cachet that 
others don't? Is it because it has such a central uh, monster figure to it, whereas the others don't? Is this is that something that's not present in his other books? Yes, it's the only one with any description of the monster. Cthulhu's a fun uh, word to say. That's not completely true. There's some descriptions of the monsters, at least in uh, Dunwich Horror, which I read not too not too long ago. Also, they did. Uh, I, I I shouldn't say they. Lovecraft uh, described the creature in Dagon as well. Yeah, I I read a couple or listened to a couple of his other stories a couple years ago and I was uh, talking probably in IRC about them and you know I was kind of complaining that whenever you get to a point where like there's a lot of tension in the story and the the main character comes around the corner to see the monster you get the only description you get is it was so terrifying it would drive a man insane even just to hear the description and I thought it was kind of a cop-out, and people kept saying, yeah, that's very Lovecraftian. Like, that was just kind of his way. Or if there was a description, you would get something like, it was a dark and eldritch thing. Yeah, I don't want to describe it, so I'm going to make up a word to describe it. Well, yeah, he... I don't know, he didn't... I didn't notice him doing any of that in this particular story, making up words uh, to describe anything. I, I thought he used several words to to the point of overuse uh cyclopean for instance must i mean it must come up a dozen times um but then there's there's other times where he describes things as uh not you know incomprehensible to the human mind acute angles that appeared obtuse and obtuse angles that behaved acute and that kind of thing where it's like what does that even mean you know so that i think that's kind of the point Oh yeah, that was my favorite part. I love I love that imagery where, you know, the the realm of Cthulhu is just beyond our any kind of sensibility that we have. It's it's it's, you know, angles angles jutting at, you know, odd directions and and things that shouldn't make sense and don't make sense and oh, I, I that that part I loved. I I love the fact that like he names drops like Euclidean geometry and like how it doesn't conform to that. I'm like, wow, that's, that's oddly specific. I think I like the idea of this book a lot more than I actually like the book. It it just feels so, it's so different than the typical horror. Most stuff is like jump scare and this is cerebral horror. Yeah, I agree with you there. I really like the concept of the book um, and and the ideas behind it. And I like I kind of like thinking about it. So, I mean, I get why, you know, there's a lot of reference to it and a lot of, uh, you know, Internet jokes and stuff. But it's um, like I feel the same way about Monty Python. I can't I can't watch a Monty Python movie. Um, But once I've watched it, I can talk about it and it's hilarious to talk about. But I can't sit down and watch one. I I just I don't know. They're not for me. (laughs) Great concept you know, not so great execution in the case of Monty Python. This is a little different. I, this was still good execution and I, I understand what he did, but just throughout listening to it, I, I would keep saying, well, it was written in the twenties. It's not so modern. It was written in the twenties, not so modern, but there were certain things that I just didn't feel like that excused. And, you know, like I said, the overuse of the word cyclopean and the, the overuse of, um, 
no one would describe it and there's no description for it and, and that kind of thing. Well, I think it, one of the things about his writing is that it was intentionally supposed to sound old, or maybe I'm mistaking that, but I thought like a lot of people comparing him to Poe was a big deal because it was like, oh, he writes like this guy that was around a while back. I kind of – is the feeling I got from this was almost the same as if you had heard the broadcast of The War of the Worlds. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. I was thinking of Dracula a lot too when I was reading it. Just the, the sort of the gothic tone that the short that the stories share, uh, the way that they're told. Uh, Dracula is much more like that, but the the way in which the stories are told through through scraps or journal entries, or you know, then there's a sort of mystery that unravels, and there's a you know intercontinental um, you know chase and an intercontinental investigation and things like that. I, I feel like. That is uh, a big part of the genre. But at the same time, this story was very much someone summarizing some things happened. It, you know, really in this story, nothing happened. They just talked about things that had already happened. Yeah, and I'm, I kind of liked the, um, I don't know what's a good word, maybe clinical uh, approach that the the narrator took to describing everything. I, I kind of did like that. Um, you know, th that's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I have anything more to say about that. Well, since you mentioned the narrator, let's talk about the actual production quality. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it was top shelf. It, it sounded better than, than my voice in my head sounds when I read to myself. There was a lot of audio production that went in on the back end, too, with the music and stuff that, that you don't normally get embedded as much in any kind of audio book. I think that they're able to do that because it's really short, which is good. And bravo once again for them doing it subtly and and not – it's it's so tempting to just kill an audio production with sound effects, and it, it takes a lot of restraint to uh, to do it right and and to not you know to not overuse sound effects or not crank them up yet yeah, i was i listened to it again today to prepare because i listened to this like three or four weeks ago and i would never have remembered a lot of the things that i paid attention to the music you almost had to be listening for it to notice it was there it was they did a very good job just using it as backdrop yeah, now did anybody listen to it at high speed and, and get bothered by the music? Even I didn't listen to it at high speed. What about you, Taj? I didn't because Pigwall said not to, and I always do what Pigwall tells me. Give me money. Um I don't well, not everything. <laughs> Pseudo give me money. <laughs> there you go. Okay, here's money. XKCD reference for the win. How about Wolfie? Will you take Wolfie? I will. 5,000 Wolfie. That's two more boxes we can check. <laughs> <laughs> Someone should come up with a book club drinking game. I think you just did. I kind of like mine better. It's, you start drinking. You have book club. You keep drinking. Done. One of the two. One of the two. You, one of the two runs out. Actually, that's a good point. That and let's let's make that official. That is the the book club drinking game. Come on with us and have a drink. And you don't stop drinking until we shut up. Somebody's gonna need a new liver. Somebody's gonna listen to the for, street. 
street candles one and and go into like alcohol poisoning. <laughs> oh man. For those of you listening while driving, like I so often do, I do not encourage drinking while driving. Stop this episode, get to where you're going, and then drink and listen to it. And for the rest of you who are not driving, I also do not recommend drinking and driving. Just because you're not driving now doesn't excuse that behavior. Yeah, so this was a really good production, good audio production, um, good length. Uh, it's it's It fit into one file, and that was just fine with me. I didn't have a problem with it feeling like it was too long or anything like that. Uh, really well read, really well paced. No uh, double reads anywhere that I could find. And I think only once in the entire reading of it do I remember consciously disagreeing with the pronunciation of a word. There's one that I've heard another way as well. I don't know if which one of them is wrong, but it definitely was not what pronounced the way that I have heard it pronounced before. Was it the word Fatagan or Watagan? No, that wasn't. No, it was Rulier. And I've always heard that Relay, not Rulier. Yeah, actually, I think he changed his pronunciation of that one uh, halfway through. He, he pronounced it one way one time and then another way the rest of the times. But I don't remember the word that I disagreed with his pronunciation of. And I think it might have um, – like I just chalked it up to, okay, this is kind of old-timey and maybe it was pronounced that way in the 20s. And what do I know? Oh, so it wasn't one of the made-up words? No, no, no. It was a real word. It was I, Otherwise, I would have no way to, to disagree with it because it was a made-up word. I got no say in that. Okay, see, this is we were disagreeing with the pronunciation of some of the made-up words. Yeah, no, I was only joking about that. I, I do whatever he wants with those. Nerd alert. <laughs> yes, you might as well have been speaking Klingon. I, I don't, uh, it didn't bother me. Look, we already checked that box. We're moving on. Oh, shit. So uh, my book time is generally when my wife is asleep, and so I can't really do audiobooks. So I read this one. Uh, can can somebody tell me about how long it took to how long the file is? Because uh, I, I could get through this novella, I guess I'd call it, in about two sittings, three if I'm being generous and took it slowly. But uh, with Halloween coming up and I liked it so much, I'd, I'd want to play it for my wife. How long will it take to, to get through? One it's hour, minutes 18 long. minutes. Sorry, I just flicked on my MP3 player while you were talking, and I didn't mean to talk over you there, X1101. I said the same thing. I said it's 78 minutes long. Yeah, you yeah might... it's, like, it's like a single setting, I'd say. Yeah, totally. You know, if you loop it, you can listen to it twice while you're handing out candy. That's awesome. See, I would go the other way, you know. Start a nice fire somewhere, preferably in a in, a, in an approved location. Failed <laughs> <My old> job. <laughs> have a nice glass of something to drink and just sit by the creepy fire, drinking your beverage and listen to this and chill. Oh, I didn't think about listening to it by the fire. I should have tried that. I thought about it, but I can I only have two pieces of furniture I can burn. I might even try that tonight. It's really warm. It's nice out tonight. You can't find more furniture in your town, Pegwall? Um, 
Not unless like I want bed bugs. Can, we'll just burn that one. Burn the one. Just have some crackhead steal you a, a chair. <laughs> I was gonna say if you weren't so picky about things smelling like meth, you'd probably be all right. You know, I, I got an even better idea, Pegel. Why don't you come on over here and bust up the Shifero for me? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Anyway, so I will say this is that even though I didn't really think this one was for me, and, and maybe it's just because I don't really like horror as a as a genre, it just doesn't grab me. Um, I I will still give it a recommended listen if anybody hasn't listened to it. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is it is well written. I I think. Um, and as far as listening to it, it's very, very well performed. Uh, but also it's, it is, it's kind of, it's on that list of, uh, of stuff you just kind of have to listen to, um, to be in on the, you know, the pop culture references and, and even just to get what people are talking about. And it's kind of worth it getting what the people are talking about. It, it, it was uh, a decent enough story. Um, it was a good story. It's not like it was bad. I didn't think that it just not my taste. Speaking of pop culture references, where all have you guys uh, seen this? I just finished the book yesterday morning and 15 minutes later got a message from my wife with a link to a Cthulhu plush doll. And she said she wanted to get it because it looked so cute. And I was like, no, that's the call of Cthulhu. Do not look directly at it. (laughs) Um, If you've ever read the webcomic called User Friendly... You'll see Cthulhu often. I'm going to check off another box. Um, the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Um, you know, <laughs> this is where it came from. Drink. I saw it, like, I think the first time I ever saw it was ages and ages ago. It was like a flash animation of, like, a, a cute, friendly Cthulhu. It was like, what would Cthulhu be like if he was friendly and cute or something? And it kind of told the backstory, but it was all... Maybe cause- Baby Cthulhu. Is that what it was? Yeah, it sounds about right. I am going to go find it. Yeah, and I, and I thought it was funny, even not not knowing the story. I thought that was funny. Um, but then also, there's I don't know. I couldn't tell you where, but several different places I've heard um, reference to the Necronomicon, which I believe this is the first mention of it, right? I believe so. Another one some people may or may not be familiar with on Metallica's album Master of Puppets the the song The Thing That Should Not not Be that exactly yeah as oh no as I'm listening to this (laughs) (laughs) that song just starts playing in my head I'm like man that reminds me of high school I know a lot of like science fiction writers and stuff have taken kind of like the Cthulhu mythos and kind of adapted it into other things. Um, I think specifically, like I'm thinking of one thing um, in the Babylon five universe that he was uh, the guy that wrote it was pretty much like, yeah, this is Cthulhu done in my universe. I could be misremembering this, but I think even the stuff you should know podcast did an episode on the Necronomicon because so much pop culture has, has, um, kind of cropped up around just the concept of that uh, over the decades and decades since the call of Cthulhu was published. I'm officially going to add some stuff to the show notes about this. 
cool please do and for all you playing along at home feel free to add as much as you like to the comment section on the hacker public radio uh, webpage for uh, this episode please that might be it that might be all the references that i can think of but uh oh no actually there's a there's a nerdcore rap um that's that's about cthulhu it kind of tells the story of cthulhu and the old ones verbatim uh or as close to verbatim but uh yeah there was that too who's the artist on that do you remember not off the top of my head no i'll see if i can find it i was just curious no it was not somebody who i'm terribly familiar with and i don't think i've heard a lot of other things from him uh it was decent enough but it was one of the you know one of those raps where it's like you know, he outlined it before he wrote any lyrics and then kind of filled in one of those. Yeah, I gotcha. It was decent enough. You know, it was, it was worth a listen, but it's not one I can, you know, rock out to on, you know, driving down the road, you know, twice a week. For those that do not know, Pokey is my source for good nerd rap. I will second that. Oh, thanks, guys. I haven't heard much new stuff lately, but. Uh, I get a lot of emails from Michael Kill. He's been putting out a lot of stuff lately. Maybe like three, three. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't call them. I don't think. I don't know if they're whole albums, but at least like maybe an album and a, a mixtape or something. But three things to listen to in the past year. I think he's, he's pretty prolific right now. Oh, I just remembered another thing that uh, references Cthulhu. There's a two or three episode arc of South Park season eleven. 10 that's got Cthulhu in it. Oh, actually, here's a dumb one that I should have thought of right away. Um, Scott Sigler's uh, series of books, the the GFL books, which is like um, football with aliens. Uh, there's a crazy dude in there, and he's always talking about the old ones and, and going on and on about them. And when I was uh, doing a little background reading about the story online i found that a group of folks a couple of years ago made a film uh about a 40 minute film adaptation of call of cthulhu i guess it was 2005 and uh it's made to look like a 1920s era silent film and i watched clips of it and i have to say yeah i really wanted to watch that but it's not available anywhere online that i could find legitimately um, semiotic robotic that was just almost a punchline moment there because you said I have to say and then you didn't say nothing <laughs> I said I I just have to say it's uh, it's impressive it's an impressive uh, effort and I'm sorry you couldn't find it Taj I thought I just found some clips on YouTube that might be where I didn't look I don't if the whole thing's up there I'm not sure but uh, any of it I would like to see just because it can't be that long yeah, I scrubbed through it just to take a look. It's about 40 minutes, but what you really got to see is the way they do the, the ending. Uh, it's changed a little bit, whereas you don't really know sort of who the protagonist is talking to in this particular in the Lovecraft version. Uh, this one has a sort of interlocutor there. Yeah, we talked about it before and there is a website um, where Pegwell found this and they've got it like right up on their front page. And I'm pretty sure you can get the dvd through netflix uh and you may be able to stream it through there as well i'm, I'm not sure 
I'm probably going to do that because uh, it, it, I mean, just from scrubbing through it briefly, it really, it looked impressive and it looked neat and kind of a neat uh, endeavor, kind of a neat effort. I thought. Yeah. It's, it's still on my, my list. I need to bump it up in my Netflix queue. There's also a very terrible movie on Netflix called the call of Cthulhu. And, uh, it's about like two dudes trying to make a comic book or something. I don't remember. It was pretty bad. Do yourself a favor and don't watch it. There's Duly also noted. why I didn't th- didn't think of this earlier because it's you know sitting you know less than probably 15 feet directly from me is a board game called Arkham Horror and there's a whole series of them and Cthulhu it's based on Lovecraftian lore which kind of centers around Cthulhu and the rest of the old ones. That's so. I don't want to steer us too far from our objective here, but I am curious. Has anybody played the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game? I have a long, long time ago, and to be honest, I didn't understand the the mythos around it, so it was kind of um, confusing to me. If anyone explains well, it wasn't, the I mean, that's fine. I mean, the mythos wasn't really what I was interested in so much as, like, what a what what the what the goal of the game was uh and b sort of what the mechanics were like like what were you doing were you playing old ones were you playing uh hunters like what what was the goal we can't tell you if we describe it to you you'll go insane well that's what i'm worried about right so you know yeah this is the in the non-spoiler section we need to have a subsection that's like non-spoilers non-panic inducing non-insanity uh, <laughs> inducing that was before the show started. Yeah, like I said, if I if I remember correctly, and it's been a long time, I think we were like humans, kind of on the trail of like something. I, I forget exactly what it was, but if I ever remembering correctly, I think there was a mechanic in the game to where you had to like test against insanity, like the closer you got to like the truth. So it, it, there was actually a mechanic to reflect that. What did you say the name and of the game was? It's called Call of Cthulhu. Oh, okay. Well, there's also a board game. There's a suite of them, but uh, called Arkham Horror, and there's also Eldritch Horror that also has that same kind of mechanic. It's it, my guess is they took the RPG and turned it into a board game because your description of it sounds almost exactly like what the board game is. Okay, I've heard Arkham Horror described before briefly, and it's like, what do you get? Maybe four or five people together to play, and it's like a cooperative board game, which makes it kind of rare. There's like there's that and what's it, the pandemic maybe. Well, and the, the other great thing is it's cooperative, but it's also something you could play it by yourself. It is like one to eight players. Oh, neat. I totally just got reminded, and I have to go back and check another box. Um, influences, Arkham, Arkham Asylum, Batman. Got to get the comic books in. Everybody drink. I'm on fire tonight. Glug, glug, glug. See, I'm not a big Batman fan. I don't understand the connection. So in the Batman universe, there's an asylum, and it's called Arkham Asylum, and it's actually named after um, Arkham, which is the city, I believe, in uh, a lot of Lovecraft's stories. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that because he didn't call it Arkham in this. I thought that came from Batman. Are you a Stephen King fan at all, Pokey? Um, not. I've never read anything that he's written. I've seen a few of the movies based on his writing, and the ones that aren't horror movies are really good. So then, no. <laughs> I guess my All right. I guess. Well, 
Stephen King that's not horror. I don't even know what he's written that's not horror. All of it's horror. <laughs> no, there was some um, The Green Mile. Is oh, okay, there is that. Is it Stand By Me? Is that what it's called with the four kids? And the Shawshank Redemption? I guess I was thinking... The point I was trying to make here, though, was a lot of his stuff's focused around the town called Deary in Maine, and there isn't. But it's it's this fictional town where half of his books kind of revolve around. It That's got to do with uh, Lovecraft? No, I, I guess I was referencing that it's the same kind of non-town that's become central within a, a multiverse done by a specific author. Oh, right on. Okay, I get it. Sorry. A little slow tonight. Well, and it at least feels like Stephen King was very much influenced by both Poe and Lovecraft. If I remember correctly, he has said specifically that he is a big H.P. Lovecraft fan. I think he actually – there's a – printed work called the Necronomicon that's got actually the I think the one of the images of Cthulhu on the cover that's just a, his uh, Lovecraft's collected works and I'm fairly certain King wrote the forward afterward intro something to it yeah the Necronomicon is it's a companion book for pretty much all the entire mythos and uh it'll have things in it like um uh, the rituals to like summon, we'll say, um, you know, Azathoth or something, uh, including like the uh, the star sign and everything. Uh, so, are the works in there in addition to this reference material? No, it's just like its own kind of thing. Well, there's also a a published work called the Necronomicon that I think is just a collection of his works published under that title as a way to sell stuff. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you're both right, and if I remember correctly, both of them were written after Lovecraft's death. Well, one of them is just a collection of his works, so they just took the stuff he wrote, put it in a nice leather-bound book, and called it the Necronomicon. I'm really upset that uh, it's not bound in human flesh. I'm not, because if it were, I wouldn't want to buy it. <laughs> Hey, yo, Evil Dead reference. Check that one off. Do the Bruce Campbell. That's another good nerd course, nerdcore rap. All right. I need another hit of my beverage here. Anybody else ready for this? Yeah, my mouth is getting I, a little parched. I need to go I'm and down. acquire mine. So give me just a moment to go up and acquire mine out of the refrigerator. Oh, sure. We'll let Peggy start then so you won't miss anything. Well, keeping with tradition, got a nice hot cup of coffee. Black? Of course. No sugar? No cream. Well, that's what black means. You know what, though, Pegwall? I started putting coconut oil in my coffee. It's uh, it's decent. What effect does that have on the coffee? What does it do to it? It makes it wicked oily. So it just changes the texture of the coffee or what, like, what is it? Does it taste different? No, it doesn't. I mean, I use, I use cream as well. No, the coconut oil is for me. It just, that's the only way that I really know how to consume it, that it isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's oily. I mean, it's at room temperature, it's, it turns into like a block of wax. So you have to kind of warm it up to consume it, but it's got 
loads of health benefits. So I've been putting it in my coffee. A lot of people will put it in a blender um, with butter and it will kind of aerate it and mix it up. And then they'll pour that in their coffee and skip the cream. And I guess that's supposed to be really good. Um, it's supposed to taste better, but I just put it in my coffee with cream and it makes the coffee oily. So I got to keep stirring it up while I drink it. Gotcha. So you're uh, putting it in your coffee because the coffee has a good effect on the coconut oil, not because the coconut oil has a good effect on the coffee. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way to put that. I've been using coconut oil in like stir fries and to like fry eggs in um, because I can't bring myself to even potentially ruin my morning cup of coffee with it. Yeah, it's magical stuff, that coconut oil. It is it is just a miracle. I've been using it for everything. I put it on cuts and scrapes, and they heal up super fast. I put, I said earlier, I put it on my knives. I'm thinking of using it as a as a bore lubricant for my muscle loader. It's it's. Uh, I've been frying with it. Sometimes it, it it'll have like a a coconut taste that you don't want. So if you get unrefined coconut oil, it's got that coconut flavor to it. And uh, it supposedly has more health benefits. And then the refined coconut oil doesn't taste or smell like coconut at all that I can tell. And sometimes I'll cook with that, like fry up stuff. I actually kind of like the coconut flavor in stir fry. So that's that's one of the reasons I started using it. I actually didn't know about the health benefits until after I um, heard that somebody was using it as a good way to flavor food. And then I was like, oh, this is really good for you. I should probably keep using this. Yeah, yeah it's incredibly good for you. Yeah, Peg, we should try it in your coffee just to see, just so I'm not the only one. I I think I'll pass. Oh, I, man. I will take the coconut oil coffee challenge this week. I'm, yeah. I'm on it. If, you could, if you've got a blender, see, I don't even own a blender, but if you've got a blender and can get yourself some butter that's been made from grass-fed beef, that's supposed to be the way to to do it. I guess I guess grass-fed beef, their, their milk has different uh properties to it and if you blend those two things together they're supposed to work really well in coffee they call it bulletproof coffee if you just google bulletproof coffee excuse me i keep coughing here but if you don't want it in your coffee my daughter puts it on her oatmeal and says she really likes it on oatmeal i think i might just start just eating it just as the only food i eat see how that works oh no it works terrible don't you can't you have to have some food in your stomach or else it my daughter and I both, we got really like bad stomach cramps when we just tried to eat a spoonful of it without any other food. It doesn't work. And you got to work yourself up to it too. Like some of the recipes, they'll say like put a whole tablespoon of it in your coffee. If you've never eaten coconut oil before, don't do that. Start with like a teaspoon and like work your way up because it's, it's so much like fat and oil that your body's just not used to because we're on such low fat diets these days that you'll you may have a hard time with it but once you get used to it it it's awesome it helps you burn fat it lowers your cholesterol does all kinds of magic but uh x1101 you're back what's your beer your your fantastic 24 for 12 dollar beer no 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 i got this before i saw that great deal so instead of a 50 cent beer which i already had i have a four dollar beer this is a Rising Tide, which is brewed right here in Maine, in Portland, I think. Yeah, Portland, Maine. It is Calcutta Cutter. It's an Imperial IPA, described as hops on hops. It's kind of a cloudy, still fairly yellow, um, 
I didn't know better, I would say it looks a lot like a white beer. Uh, except it's not it's not that cloudy. It's not like an unfiltered cloudy. So here goes the first taste. Uh, the nose is very citrusy, and it's uh, definitely hops on hops. Very hoppy, citrus, and a little bit of pine, but still very smooth. Not a lot of uh, for an IPA. It's not particularly bitter. Cool. Sounds great. And because I was AFK, were you guys talking about coconut oil? Yeah. Yep. We're trying to convince Pegwall to do something with his black coffee. You might convince me, too. I guess I, guess I may have to get some and leave it at work, because my daughter has a peanut allergy, and we have been warned it could translate into a general nut allergy, and I'm not exactly sure if coconut is a nut or not. Yes and no. A peanut is not a nut. Um, a peanut allergy should be very different from a tree nut allergy. My son has tree nut allergies, and he's not allergic to peanuts at all because it's a peanut's a, a bean, a legume. So it's weird that they're telling you that that can happen. Well, it's because she's under two, and they say if you have one, and if you take peanuts out and replace it with a lot of tree nuts, that can kind of trigger a tree nut allergy as well. And so we're just being safe, you know. Yeah, I, we can talk about allergies some other time. I have a, I have my own thoughts on that. I, unconventional thoughts on the allergy thing. Well, I welcome that. I'm always interested to hear something else. I think keeping kids away from all of these allergens is, is part of what causes the allergies to exist in the first place, let alone be so severe. Uh, we didn't deliberately keep her away from it. Just one day, my wife was having some toast with peanut butter. Our daughter was like, well, what all children under two years old are like, oh, whatever mommy's eating must be the best food ever. Wanted some, begged and begged and begged for some, got some, and broke out terribly. Yeah, that's that's similar to how my son did it. I just mean like medical professionals who go, well, the kid has one allergy. We might want to keep them away from 50 other things that have nothing to do with it. And I don't know. It just, I don't, that doesn't seem wise to me, but I'm not a medical professional, so don't take my advice on it. I'm kind of on board where you are, but at the same time, I, I just want my, my kid to be safe. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not, it's weird because it's not an experiment that I would do with, with my child either or recommend someone do with their child. It's just – it's odd that you, you you have a kid that has an allergic reaction. You bring them to the doctor and they do scratch tests and they do blood tests and do all these other things. And then they go, well, we didn't find a response to this, but you might want to keep them away just to be safe. And that just – I don't you – know, that, that does not compute. Sorry. No, I agree completely. Uh, we went to an allergist who – I got good vibes from, and they said, you know, between now and when they're five, their allergies are still kind of in flux, and so if we're just careful, you know, she may become not allergic to it, or we do, what we don't want is to take that allergy and trigger a bunch more. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, as, as far as coconuts go, everything, all the literature I've ever had, on tree nuts always mentions coconuts because it is a plant protein and I think that's what the that's what triggers a tree nut allergy um, but I've read on the internet 
and everything on the internet is true, uh, that there has never been a reported case of an allergic reaction to a coconut on, on earth ever. Coconut oil for my coffee then. And like I said, everything on the internet is true. I don't know of one person that has the same allergy as, as I do. Are you allergic to going to work? No, I'm allergic to downy fabric softener. I'm not sure if it's an actual allergy, but I know that my dad gets horrible skin irritation with uh, Tide. Yeah, my wife, any any laundry product that's scented um, will bother her terribly. We have all, all unscented stuff. All right, Taj, what are you drinking? Allergies are weird. Yeah, they are. Sorry. I uh, ran into the house real quick um, before it started. I had to take Mrs. Taj out tonight because it's her birthday, and we went to the Japanese restaurant, and I had a wonderful green tea while I was there. But um, since I'm at home now, I have water because I'm boring. Nice. And happy birthday to Mrs. Taj. You managed to take your wife out and then convince her to let you do the book club on her birthday. After I just came back from a weekend trip yesterday, so yeah, I'm I'm batting a thousand right now. Hooray for great wives! Yeah, she's the grooviest. Semiotic robotic. Have you got a beverage this month? Yeah, man, just polishing off a good cup of herbal tea. Tonight I have a uh, pumpkin spice tea from Harney and Sons, one of my favorite. Uh, tea companies but especially for herbal tea their their herbal teas are amazing so this is a pumpkin spice it's got some nutmeg and some clove in it it's perfect for a fall night here in north carolina oh that sounds awesome yeah i like it a lot one one cool thing you can do if you if you like harney and sons pumpkin spice tea and i recommend you give it a shot is do what my wife likes to do and heat up a nice mug of hot apple cider and then let the pumpkin spice tea bag steep in the hot apple cider for a couple minutes. Oh, that sounds good because they got all the other spices in there that would, you know, complement each other. That sounds really good. Oh, you know what else sick. is really good? It's so good. You know what else is really good in hot apple cider? Spiced rum. Coconut oil? <laughs> <laughs> Coconut oil and spiced rum. I have to try that too. Well... I will say coconut oil is not – while it is a miracle substance, it doesn't cure and prevent everything uh, because I've been taking coconut oil for a few weeks now. But I am sick tonight. So tonight my beverage is Walgreens store brand daytime wall flu, severe cold and cough in berry flavor. It is uh, christened with acetaminophen and dextro dextromethorphan and phenylephedrine HCL as a nasal decongestant and this stuff works pretty good I don't know why it, it works better than taking it in a pill form but it somehow does seem to it goes down smooth yeah it doesn't taste great kind of leaves your mouth feeling gritty like you chewed up a Tylenol but it's helping a little. I'm coughing a little bit less than I was before I started drinking it. Well, that's good. Yeah, if anybody listening at home couldn't tell, I, I'm pretty congested right now. So, spoilers. 
what did you guys think of how this story turned out in the end? I mean, this guy went on this long, uh, like research journey. I mean, it was almost like a, like a Google quest, you know, of, of reading other people's stuff and, and, you know, talking to people and finding dead people. And, you know, it, it, it was weird. I thought at the beginning of the book, he said, I would, uh, you know, if I figured this out, I would never want to tell anybody, but then here he is telling everybody. So, I mean, I thought that was kind of odd. Yeah. Do we think, uh, do we think he got, uh, killed at the end? I don't know. I, that depends. Do we think that Cthulhu's awake? I think as far as the whole, you know, if some anyone finds out, yet I'm going to tell everyone thing is the way I took it is it's a thing that's, you know, being written down. And in the book, you see it as writing. It's presented as like the a thing the dude's writing, like the narrator. This thing he's like putting together from stuff everyone else has said and like the uh like the Swedish dude I believe he was who uh who, whose hair turned white from seeing Cthulhu and you know bits of his uncle's work and all this so that doesn't really translate too well to the audiobook part no I got that I got that it was like he was keeping a journal of this thing but he almost gave the impression that you know if I ever figure this out I'm burning his journal or maybe I'm the only yeah, one Yeah so that. the question is then as a reader you you ask yourself so am I reading this does Lovecraft does Lovecraft want me to read this and get to the end and realize oh my god I'm next you know this guy basically the story ends with him um you know, the, the the big piece of the puzzle at the end comes from the manuscript he gets uh, from the widow at the end. And that's sort of his moment where he gets the revel like the revelation uh, and where it all comes together, where, you know, he gets the thick description of the Cthulhu sighting. But then, you know, does Lovecraft want and then so he has this realization, oh, my God, I read I read the thing uh, and now I know too much. I'm next. And, you know, that's sort of how I think what Lovecraft wants us to feel at the end of the novel where it's like, Oh man, I just, I just read this thing and I'm next. I, I agree with that. I, I think he did a pretty good job conveying that. But at the same time, when he read the, um, the guy's description of it, it almost sounded like Cthulhu had been awakened and is now roaming the earth. And in which case, what's the point of killing him to keep it a secret anymore? Uh, That's a good point. See, I got that Cthulhu had only woken temporarily because the stars were not quite right. That's also what I got. I think if Cthulhu had been actually awakened, I think the story would be a lot different. I mean, people would be going, hey, did you see that like huge-ass monster thing just walking around the ocean? We should like you know avoid that. One of the things that I thought of when I was when I got to the end of this book is, um, you, you kind of really trust the narrator the whole way through. What if this dude is just batshit crazy and it's just him writing down crazy stuff and none of it actually happened? 
Well, Cthulhu can manipulate your dreams, right? So maybe, you know, this guy, as he gets closer to the mystery, as he gets closer to the the, the core of the mystery, you know, people start to play you know, tricks on him. Like his, you know, maybe he's dreaming half the stuff. Uh, who knows? I think one of my favorite parts of it, <clears throat> actually probably my favorite part of it, is when he was describing what it would be like when Cthulhu awakened the Elder Gods and they came back and... You know, uh, he said, you, "You know what happened because people would be what did it say, shouting and and, and enjoying themselves or something like that, and they would teach us new ways of shouting and enjoying ourselves." Did anybody but, else? Uh, oh, with, sorry. But that was also with like pain and ecstasy and like like all the things that we know won't make any sense anymore because it'll be like you know pain and torture and pleasure and craziness all wrapped into one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Like, uh, Cenolites, is that what they're called from the, what are they, the Pinhead movies or whatever? Sorry, man, that reference just fell right flat on its face. You shouldn't have left that to me. Hellraiser. No, uh, no Hellraiser. box checking for that one? <laughs> yeah, no. No box checking. Hellraiser, those are the movies. I got it. I was just sitting here thinking maybe maybe they're uh, a Cthulhu influence thing. I don't know. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering the same thing. So did anybody else have to um, look up words from this? Yes. Yes. I probably should have, but mostly I just kind of guessed based on context. I'm not too proud. Would you look up? Cyclopean? Yeah, that's the one I looked up too. How about you, semiotic robotic? Uh, Eldritch. Oh, I didn't even think to look that one. What's that one? Was was Eldritch? Oh, I forget the... the technical definition now. I'm going to look it up again. I'll be back. Oh, sure. Todd, do you remember Cyclopean? It is a type of architecture from the Greek islands. Yeah, with big effing blocks. Cthulhu digs blocks. And the way I understood it, when I looked up, uh, Cyclopean. It's not that the architecture is from the Greeks, but that's what the Greeks called Middle Eastern architecture because they had massive, massive blocks. So maybe I misunderstood it. No, that, that seems about right. Yeah, but the Greeks said, look at these giant blocks that these walls are made of. There's no way that anyone but a Cyclops could have placed them there. So Eldritch, just jog my memory means uh, like sinister or weird or dark, right? So I had seen this in, I don't read too much horror. Uh, and so I didn't know, like, I think my first exposure to a word like this was on on magic cards or something like that. I'm not sure if I recall the word in this book or just the kind of, for some reason I've been on a horror kick and been re- listening to a lot of horror podcasts, but a word that horror writers in general seem to really like undulating (laughs) it is kind of a fun word yeah and usually kind of gross and or creepy given the context it's almost like an onomatopoeia it almost sounds like what it is i don't know what it is about that word but it 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 has the sound of undulation well it almost makes you your skin want to creepy crawl just undulate yeah exactly (laughs) I don't know. Whenever I think of undulations, I always think of like uh, maybe satin sheets and you just kind of flung them up in the air to, you know, settle them out and they're kind of undulating their way down. Maybe I'm 
Maybe the point is lost on me. I picture somebody doing the worm. It sounds like you guys just haven't listened to enough horror stuff. Or Pokey's just really messed up. Yeah, maybe, because Undulate always (laughs) makes me think of Sexy Town. When I think of Undulate, I... Like, even before listening to anything Lovecraft or reading it, I always just think of, like, some, like, weird black blob just wiggling about, or like a tentacle or something. Like I said, sexy time. If you live in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) And check the box. If people really did develop a drinking game, they are smashed right now. (laughs) It sounds like it's bingo-based, the way we keep checking boxes. Well, yeah, that's most drinking games that I've seen that are based on a an entertainment source. When character and or host says or does this thing, take a drink. Right. So you you combine bullshit bingo and drinking games with the HPR Audio Book Club. Every time we mention one of the things we always mention, you take a drink. Right. And you wake up the next day. <laughs> Pegwell's posting in the chat instead of joking out loud. Call of Booze Thulu. I didn't want to interrupt people. Isn't that the whole point of this thing? Now, I have to say, I listened to another audiobook that felt like it was kind of in this style. It was set like the late 70s, but you know, it was about the Necronomicon and raising a great evil, but it was the same lots of talking about things and then at the end it was kind of I'm going to just say the end was almost anticlimactic or I guess that's the best way I can describe it anticlimactic because you don't really get a resolution one way or the other I feel like and I, I, I this is the second time I'm bringing up Dracula so I apologize for that but it was the same with Dracula I don't know if anybody's read that but the story the conclusion of the story is not really the point of the the story in that sense, and I felt like it was kind of the way with Call of Cthulhu as well. It's sort of like the point of this, the point of the writing or the the artifact itself, like creates. It's supposed to create a mood, and uh, you exist or sort of inhabit that mood throughout the entire piece. But it's not really plot driven as much as we tend to think when we think of like a horror film, for example. Yeah, I agree with that. Not that I've read all the way through Dracula, but I. I... The parts I've read were, yes, they're very mood-driven, and so was this. And and I I think the point of this, like you said, was not so much um, plot resolution, but to leave you with that feeling and to leave you thinking about it after you're done. That's kind of what I thought when Pokey was like, all right, now there's spoilers. And I was like, well, really, that doesn't matter because you don't really need to spoil anything. I mean, I could tell you what this whole thing was about and not really spoil anything. Yeah, it's true. Spoiler, the book will drive you crazy. Just look at all of us. <laughs> I was this way before Call of Cthulhu. I'd like to have everyone now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I really was too. You're all a bunch of point crapper honors. Crapping on his point like that. I'll have you know I was not crazy before listening to this. Well, I'll have you think you, that. You poor man. Yeah, I don't think it's true. That's all right. Don't let the truth spoil a good joke. <laughs> it was not a good joke. Fine, don't let the truth spoil a mediocre joke. Yeah, you, you can't you can't play that card illegally like that. <laughs> hey, if I, 
I'm happy if I can get a mediocre joke in. Well, I feel lucky if I can get any joke in between these coughing fits I'm having off mic. Well, on the plus side, you've done a fantastic job of keeping them off mic. Yeah, yeah. Real radio people have their mics hot all the time, and they have to push the button to cough. I just have to not push the button. Semiotic Robotic, you want to read the quote you just posted in there? Yeah, sure. Sometimes when I read, I like to just pull. I mean, one of the benefits of having ebooks is I can pull quotes out and just drop them in a text file. Uh, and I keep those for different books, especially for the book club. But um, there's a great quotation. You know, just I, I think this is representative of what Lovecraft tries to do um, to describe sort of the ineffable that is Cthulhu, right? The fact that Cthulhu defies speakability. You can't, you can't talk about it you can't look at it you can't conceive it otherwise you'd go insane so he writes the thing cannot be described there is no language for such abysms of chic of shrieking and immemorial lunacy such eldritch contradictions of all matter force and cosmic order and he that's much better than the way that i put it earlier because it is well written you know as i almost made it sound like a cop-out where he said well i can't describe it and then you know went on but you're, you're right he doesn't just move on he spends as much time he spends more time telling you why it can't be described than he would if he just described it right and that's something i really i appreciated about the book is when especially when he's trying to describe to you thulu resurrects from you know the middle of the sea uh, and he's talking about the weird non-Euclidean angles of it. It doesn't make sense. Or the quote, uh, what are the, what are the. No, you just cut out again. Are you still with us? Semiotic robotic. Nope. It looks like his plumble crashed. Nope. Are you back? Yeah. My, uh, my internet connection dropped. Sorry guys. That's all right. Um, yeah. So you were saying, uh, when they got to the Island, you were about to quote something about the way that the non-Euclidean geometry uh worked or didn't work there yeah people just kept saying things like that's it shouldn't be possible the structure shouldn't be possible etc and uh you know you have angles that are acute and obtuse at the same time or appear one way and then upon you know getting closer they they actually are another way and you don't know how to get handholds on the thing like just to the sort of the way that he was able to describe something that's indescribable or it was supposed to be indescribable uh that i think was a cool was just a neat little linguistic trick, right? I think it showed his artistry. Yeah, you faded there. You got really quiet. I don't know if you moved away from your mic or if that's software doing that, but I, I, we heard you. I, I don't know if it'll come across on the podcast uh, real well. Ah, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, there you, now you're back. Yeah, didn't one guy die because he fell into a hole that wasn't really there or something? Yeah, there was some kind of moment where the the guy sort of uh, he he disappears, but they don't know exactly why. I got the impression when they were dis- when he was describing the old ones and the elder gods, I got the impression that they exist on more planes of reality than we're able to perceive, and that by attempting to view them, you get kind of a glimpse into what that might mean. And I, I think. Like, I got that impression, and, that, and that's why people are going insane, because there's more to it than that. I have to agree there, because in one part it says that 
we are not meant to venture too far on from this planet i forget how it's worded exactly but you know floating in the black sea of existence like if we were to like venture too far from what we know and what we think of you know our universe then our minds would just snap i think i was reading something and because I did like some research, because I even after reading this, I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn about Cthulhu and I still didn't know much. Um, I think like the Wikipedia said that like specifically the old gods are from space. So they're like aliens. Um, but I, I don't know. We could totally do a Indiana Jones and, and make them like multidimensional space aliens. Oh, yeah, for sure. He said they're from the stars. And it seemed like unless I understood this wrong, it seemed like Cthulhu may not be one of the old gods, but, like, their high priest? Is that somewhat right, maybe? Uh, that's definitely how they referred to him, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. To so they're even more mysterious than he is. I liked the imagery of um, when the inspector from New Orleans, I think it was, went into the swamp, and there's all these guys there, dancing around this giant monolith with a little statue on top. Yeah, one of the statues made from... Oh, you cut out again there. The statue's made from space rock. The cultist got him. <laughs> Semiotic robotic, I believe you were talking about space rocks? Yeah, so space rocks. It's just funny that... Boy, they got him again. He must be really tasty <laughs> on some extra dimensional level. He speaks too much truth. <laughs> Dude, you're you're getting too Damn close it, Cthulhu. to the, You're getting too close to the truth. Talk about something else. <laughs> my I don't know what it is tonight. My internet connection keeps dropping. Hopefully it, it stays up this time. But yeah, that the, the statue's made out of a, a, some kind of mineral that the world's leading even the world's leading geologists can't decipher to be fair though they were kind of old timey geologists from like the 20s still though space rocks yeah that was kind of cool they brought their idols with them i thought that was kind of neat what do we think that i mean is that what we're supposed to assume that it was some kind of mineral that came i mean how do people explain that yeah i think that's exactly what it was i think when the old gods came to earth that they brought these little statues of themselves just so that the humans, number one, wouldn't forget them, but number two, might have some concept of them because they exist on so many planes that we're just not aware of that it was kind of all they could do uh, to keep people remembering them. I mean, because they are in some way reliant on us to wake them up when the stars are right again. And what benefit do the have for joining the cult of Cthulhu like uh, is it is it they want uh, you know the new society they want the, the the demolition and the decimation of all that is that's something I wonder every time I watch or read or see any kind of horror like well, what's in it for these guys do they get to be the first ones to be eaten is that like I don't get it I mean, it may be kind of controversial, but what does anybody get out of any religion? I mean, it's, I don't know that there's any more tangible things than any legit thing going on. Well, most conventional religions have a promise, you know, of an afterlife that is somehow pleasant, whereas 
these guys, I'm not, I'm not sure they were promised anything nice at all. Uh, maybe they're promised an alternate understanding of what pleasant or unpleasant means. You know, if we ev- evolve into something different, more like the old gods, where pain and pleasure are really the same thing, if they promise you pain but you enjoy the pain, I don't know. I'm reaching here for something. Maybe they're they just go crazy first, so they don't have to like witness the true horror of what's going to happen. Or maybe they're just crazy now and obeying. Maybe it's not even a conscious choice. That's the way I took it. They're really looking forward to the crazy killings and orgies that happen right before they come back. One thing that I did think was interesting. Um, when he was describing, I think it was when he was describing the old ones, it it said that they would, um, almost like they would cure us of our morality. And the way that he said it, it kind of implied that he feels, or, or, uh, he being, um, HP Lovecraft, that he feels that morality is a human trait as opposed to something that we've built for ourselves and like a, like a code of ethics is inherent to us, which, um, kind of goes against what conventional religions teach and against what, uh, the law kind of assumes, you know, which they, they both seem to assume that we're inherently evil and we need, um, rules so that we know how to behave in crowds, you know, in groups. Whereas this is saying, no, 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 we're, We'll get rid of all that pesky morality as if it's an inherent thing. Did anybody else give any thought to that portion of it? I hadn't thought of that, but I think it's kind of a cool idea that in such a dark, twisted thing that humans are ultimately like just very good. That's that's a cool idea. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on that, but I think that's a good insight. I mean, maybe not from the narrator's point of view, maybe not all humans because there were plenty of mongrels and half-breeds. Oh, geez, yeah. Some of the language. Oh. It was weird. I wasn't sure how to take that. The, you know, because uh, it, it, it almost seems like, okay, well, he must be just, uh, maybe it's a convention of the times when the book was written, but, um, you know, that's what I was thinking when I was reading. It was only, it was only when you guys pointed out to me that, you know, there really wasn't as much racism in the 20s as, as this book would imply. Oddly enough, like, when it comes to, like, we'll say dated literature, you read things like that and you go, oh, you know, well, it's a product of that time. But for some reason, one part that made me go, wait, what? Was the point of, like, Lovecraft mentioning the uh, the Cthulhu worshipping Eskimos? And I'm like, who, <laughs> s- who says that about Eskimos? What have they done to you? <laughs> and they weren't they weren't um American Eskimos either. They were like a European Eskimo, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make them like twice as chill? It might. That's not something I'd ever heard anyone else mention that there might be Eskimos on another continent. Or maybe that was just a common way to refer to people who lived in snowy places when the book was written. I wasn't sure about that. I I just like the progression of it's like racism, 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 
Eskimos. That and it's it's weird how you know dated or or like older uh, writing just approaches racism as if it's a scientific fact. <laughs> you know, where they would talk about breeds of humans and and the traits of the breed. You know what I mean? Well, that's kind of what I meant when I said the, how casual the racism was. Well, I mean, it was not not too far forward, not even behind. I mean, forward of that, people were talking, literally talking about eugenics um, for, you know, breeding out disabilities and stuff. Uh, it, it was pretty openly talked about and like really smart people at the time were like advocating for that. Um, so, I mean, I guess in some way it was th- that was kind of the par for the course. That's a really good point. That's I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, Semiotic Robotic is saying in the chat he's got to go. Um, thanks for coming on with us tonight, man. It's been awesome having you back. Sure thing, guys. It's been a pleasure. I got to run, but uh, it's always a pleasure to chat books with you folks. I will. Uh, I'll be looking forward to the next one. Yeah, awesome. So as we figure out what it is, we'll let you know. Take All care, right. man. Glad Not to have you on. Speaking of eugenics, that's how we got con. Womp, womp, womp. Sorry, I had to recheck that box. And not Benedict Cumberbatch, because he's not really Khan. Oh, come on. I thought he did a fantastic job as Khan. Nope. Wait, are we talking about Madeline Khan? Because she's German, right? Farhan Khan. Or no. Khan Nunyan Singh. Sorry, I worked with someone whose name looked the same. My brain's addled today. (laughs) That was awesome. So... There was another thing in this book that both times I listened to it kind of made me chuckle. Um, in the Early on in the book, like way at the beginning, the guy talks about finding his uncle's box that was locked. And I couldn't get it unlocked and couldn't find the key until I thought to look on the key ring he kept in his pocket. Like, duh, why didn't you look there first? Captain Obvious here. I couldn't find the key until I looked on the key ring. Yeah, I mean, that was like he made it sound like it was some tremendous struggle to. I couldn't get unlocked. I was scratching my head for weeks. And then guess where I found it? It was in the last place I looked. Who'd have thought? (laughs) Exactly. What was this dude doing, like, in the time between finding it and finally unlocking it? Was he, like, sticking pennies in his nose, hoping for the best, or what? He was at hacker conferences going to all the lockpicking tracks. <laughs> That's something I need to do again. Trying to convince everybody there that, no, no, I'm really a gray hat, not a white hat. I'm not that square. I'm too cool for this club. Oh, yeah. Does anybody know what, uh, what did he say? Theophacy? There, there are theophysists or something? It's a branch. Uh, it's a branch of philosophy, I think. Yeah, he did say philosophists, too, which I thought might have been philosophers. Maybe the word was different. Yeah, I think it's religious philosophy. Ah, that makes sense. Well, guys, I think that's all I got. How about you guys? Anything else? All I have right now is a full bladder. You can blame Cthulhu for that. Damn you, Cthulhu. (laughs) There's no urinals in Rillier. <laughs> Urine doesn't obey the laws of physics there. You try to tinkle, but it just tinkles in. <laughs> like the backwards episode of Red Dwarf. 
Yes, that was fantastic. <laughs> All right, that's my obscurest reference. I, I can't come up with anything else. That was a really good one. We haven't done Red Dwarf yet, so well done, Pokey. Oh, thank you, sir. Do you remember that scene? He comes up, this is like hairs up in the air. Oh, right. poor, poor cat. Red Dwarf's just awesome all, all across the board. Yeah, I want to point out, even the young guy gets that one. Because I can remember back in high school, Red Dwarf was on at like 10 o'clock at night on Saturdays on PBS. And a bunch of my buddies and I would always watch it. It was like the power like block on Saturday nights when you were a nerd. Uh, PBS had Red Dwarf, and then right after it, Doctor Who, and it was it was it was balling. It was BBC America before BBC America. Man, you were so lucky that you had someone to watch that with. I have never ever been able to convince anyone to watch Red Dwarf. You, you tell them you got to watch it, and they go, "What is it?" And you go, "Well, it's like uh, sci-fi comedy." And they're like, "All right, I'm out." It's like the Hitchhiker's Guide. No joke, that was one of the first things that me and my wife kind of like bonded over was that and like Spider-Man comic books. Oh, it's fantastic. I've gotten my wife to watch a few of them, but she doesn't, I don't think she's ever laughed out loud at anything. And I'm not sure if she's even laughed quietly to herself, but she'll tolerate it just so we can sit together. I'm not sure I have any other mode of laughing other than out loud. Very loud. Oh, no, I do. I like listen to podcasts as I'm falling asleep. And if I'm listening to a comedy one and something makes me laugh, I'll, I'll laugh heartily, but I won't make any noise. And I think it still wakes my wife up. And sometimes she pinches me. You get a good nose laugh going. Yeah. I will. Occasionally I listen to podcast. Well, I listen to podcasts at work and fairly frequently something very, very funny happens. And I'll be sitting at my desk, my headphones on banging away at something and just bust up laughing and the guys just kind of look at me and shake their head and keep going yeah my daughter does that she'll look at me and i'll just i'll have to just point at my earbud i'll just tap my earbud and she'll go oh okay she'll because i'll laugh and she'll go what 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 and i'll tap my earbud and she'll go ah, all right they don't nobody wants to hear that explained they don't want to hear me explain my my rpg character it's a true story all right so who's picking the next book I recently listened to a patio book novel. It's from patio books called Cybrosis. It is kind of cyberpunky. Oh, really? Did you like it? Mm, a decent seven and a half out of seven and a half, eight out of ten. Okay, uh, that might I, be I, interesting because I I was at the other end of that scale with that one. Oh, you've listened to it as well. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was one of my least favorite audio books, but it's, I mean, that could make for an interesting conversation. I vote yay. All right, give me just a second to pull up the link. I have it in my, uh, actually, I'm, I don't think I have added Wikia page yet, which, if you guys are interested, I still have that, that page on Wikia up. You just need accounts, and then I think I can add you to the group to do it. If not, that's fine too, but it was, my idea was to dump all of the, the books I listened to and kind of a general what I thought about them so that the next time one of you doesn't have a book to listen to, you can be like, hey, what does Lyle like? There. Hey, what does Pokey like? That one. And so on. Yeah, I forgot to sign up for that. Well, give me a minute and I'll throw the URL for that in too. Thank you, sir. Okay, I got the link to it. Nope, you do too. That's the book club. 
Cool. Thank you. I'll definitely sign up for that. And we'll have to... You got it linked in the show notes? I don't. I'll do that too. Uh... All right. Cool. Anybody listening along at home wants to play, we can, uh, we'll have that linked in our show notes and you can participate that way as well. If you don't want to come on air with us. That one's the link to the book. Okay. So Cybrosis by PC Herring. Um, they've got it, uh, under the genre of cyberpunk and science fiction. It's scoring a 97% on patio books ratings. Um, And the brief description here says, For Agent Crisis, the mission should have been simple. Get in, apprehend the target, get out. But when the simple snatch and grab goes horribly awry, the world's first cyborg finds herself backed into a corner. At odds with her superiors, she becomes embroiled in two conspiracies, one intended to destroy her with a cybernetic virus that will neutralize the technology that keeps her alive, the other intended to keep hidden the untold secrets of her origin. With the walls closing in around her, Crisis becomes... Uh, Cyrus, not Crisis, sorry. Cyrus becomes a rogue agent with no one to trust and only one objective. Unravel the shrouds of secrecy before time runs out. So yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a mystery uh, wrapped in in sci-fi um i think maybe i don't understand what cyberpunk is uh anybody want to give a shot at describing what cyberpunk means i'm still trying to piece that together but it usually involves either cyborgs like this one or some kind of human machine some kind of human machine interface whether it be cyborgs or a virtual reality or something along those lines okay cool thanks for the suggestion x1101 well i listen to enough audiobooks which is entirely thanks to the audiobook club uh, i kind of always try to have a couple decent ones in the in my back pocket to suggest if we didn't have one cool thanks now, as soon as you said that, I thought of one uh, that we may want to do. I've, I've heard recommended a million times and haven't listened to yet, but uh, maybe next month. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that's all we got. So uh, thanks, everyone who showed up, Taj, um, Pegwall, X1101, and Semiotic Robotic. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um, that's all I got. You guys got anything? Nope. I'm good. All right, then uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, thanks everyone for showing up. Have a good night. Bye, folks. Yeah, Pegwall Photogen. <laughs> Whoa. Wait, was that a cheap plug for your website? Photos by Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> Angles that don't even make sense. Oh, that's enough. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. 
Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Man, I just really love using these things. I keep spraying my elbow, though. <laughs>